Previously, on Saving Apollo 13. Three, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at 2:13. Jim Lovell is the commander of this mission, and sitting beside him is his lunar module pilot Fred Hayes. And there's Jack Swaggart, command module pilot. 13, we've got one more item for you when you get a chance. We'd like it to、uh, stir up your cryo tanks. A violent fire erupts, and the pressure in oxygen tank two rises rapidly, and the tank explodes. Fuel cells one and three are offline, and the ship's entrails are hanging out through the side of the shattered ship. This is Saving Apollo 13, the incredible story of NASA's Apollo 13 mission, the spacecraft that failed en route to the moon, and the feats of human ingenuity that saved the lives of the three men aboard. What do you do when you're in space and your only source of oxygen is slipping through your fingers? How do you solve problems that are so complex no one even thought they could occur? And how did one man? Change the minds of the smartest people in NASA by just looking out a window. I'm Sean Brady, forensic engineer, and this is episode two: the lifeboat. Down in mission control, the ECOM Cy Liebergott, who looks after the health of the command module, is looking at his console. It's streaming data down from the ship, but the data had disappeared for a few seconds. Then it came back, and now it makes no sense at all. Liebergott hears Swaggart and Lovell say there's a problem, and his console is saying the same thing. It's telling him the oxygen in oxygen tank two has dropped to zero. It's like tank two is gone, like it doesn't exist anymore. And it doesn't. It's exploded and blown out the side of the service module. But neither the crew nor mission control know this yet. Then Liebergott's back room, where all his support people are, come on calm. One of them says, "We lost O2 tank two pressure." Liebergott confirms this, then adds, "Okay, guys, we've lost fuel cell one and two pressure." Liebergott immediately feels sick. If this data is real, then here is a level of failure he's never experienced before. It's almost so bad it can't be real. How can you lose a tank and a fuel cell in one hit? So Liebergott hopes this is an instrumentation problem. He taps his console and speaks to Gene Kranz. We may have an instrumentation problem, flight. Let me add it up. But for the three men in Apollo. It feels nothing like an instrumentation problem. There'd been a definite bang, and the ship had shaken. That isn't instrumentation. Then the warning lights had started to come on, and Hayes, moving through the tunnel connecting the lunar module and command module, hears pinging and popping sounds and the scrape of metal flexing. The tunnel walls actually shift around him. The command module and the lunar module, which are connected by this fragile tunnel, are twisting and moving relative to one another. Hayes floats into the command module and gets in his couch to check the electrical systems. He reports to Houston that things seem to have improved. 
But then he adds some words that rip through mission control. He says, we had a pretty large bang associated with the caution and warning here. Meanwhile, Jim Lovell thinks they've been hit by a meteor, something every astronaut is afraid of. He says over the comm, we're starting to go ahead and button up the tunnel again. He's thinking that if the hull or skin of the lunar module has been penetrated by a meteor, then the right thing to do is to close the hatch between the two ships and preserve the oxygen in the command module. So Swagger unbuckles himself and dives down into the lower equipment bay where he grabs the hatch but he struggles to get it attached to the tunnel. He attempts it once, then again, then a third time. Then Lovell says, forget the hatch. Let's just take it out and tie it down out of the way. Because at this point, Lovell realizes that if they've been hit by a meteor, they'd be dead by now. The ships would have bled out. They would have depressurized. This hasn't happened yet, which means it must be something else. Mission Control is struggling to answer the same question. Liebergott is looking at multiple system failures. Oxygen Tank 2 is showing completely empty. Some fuel cells are offline, and on top of this, Lovell has reported they had a main bus B undervolt. Now, there are two buses or power buses that provide power to the spacecraft. Main bus A and main bus B. So getting an undervolt in main bus B means they've lost power in main bus B, which means they've lost half the power in the spacecraft. Now the oxygen tanks also provide breathable air to the command module. And because Liebergut's console is telling him oxygen tank 2 is empty, this means they've lost half their breathable air for the mission. Now as well as providing breathable air, these oxygen tanks, along with hydrogen tanks, also feed the fuel cells, which are incredible pieces of kit. The fuel cells take hydrogen and oxygen and put them together to make H2O. Now the really important byproduct of making H2O is that this process also generates electricity. So for this system to work, you have oxygen tanks and hydrogen tanks, which provide gases to the fuel cells, which create water and electricity and these fuel cells provide electricity to the two main buses that then distribute this power to the various systems in the spacecraft and things are about to get worse from Gene Kranz's console the flight director's console there's more going on than just a problem with a tank some fuel cells and a bus because just as the astronauts were reporting the problem and Liebergott was saying there may be an instrumentation issue Kranz starts getting a flow of problems from other consoles. The information they have is making no sense. Kranz knows that the lunar module, known as the LEM, seems fine. But then it would be. It isn't actually powered up. It's just sitting there connected to the command module. And the command module, where the crew are right now, also seems fine. Which suggests the problem lies in the service module, the lifeblood of the mission. And Kranz knows that if there's something wrong with the service module, then the future of the mission and the lives of the crew are at risk. So he asks Liebergott over the comm, Sai, what do you want to do? Have we got a six sensor type problem here or what? And Liebergott's really not sure. He knows that Lovell is reporting better numbers from the spacecraft. Liebergott's console is telling him that oxygen tank 2 has no oxygen. But Lovell's gauges are telling him it's full. 
it's maxed out. But then Lovell's numbers start to go bad too. Lovell is looking at the O2 Tank 2 readings and they are now reading empty. And of the fuel cells, two look dead. Meanwhile, Fred Hayes sees that of the two buses, both now look like they're in trouble. Lovell had reported that main bus B had an undervolt, but now it looks to Hayes that main bus A is also failing. It looks to him like main bus B is bleeding main bus A to death. If they both die, the spacecraft dies. Lovell goes on the calm to mission control, keeping his voice neutral. He says, Fuel cell 1 and 3 are both showing grey flags, but both are showing zip on the flaws. Capcom replies, We copy. Lovell then adds, And Jack, O2 cryo number 2 tank is reading zero. Did you get that? This meant there was nothing left in oxygen tank 2, and the Capcom confirms the reading. Down at the flight director's console, Gene Kranz's comm loop is alive with people wanting to talk to him. And the Capcom is asking him, is there any kind of leads we can give them? Are we looking at instrumentation or have we got real problems? Now, all the time this is going on, Lovell, Hayes and Swaggart are bouncing all over the place. The service module has automatic thrusters that keep it stable as it glides towards the moon. But now it's like something is throwing the spacecraft off course. And every time craft is thrown off course, the automatic thrusters kick in to stabilize it. Lovell needs to get this movement under control. He needs to null out these raids. So he reaches out and takes hold of the manual controller. He's going to be a pilot again. He's going to try and tame this movement. But no matter what he does, it's not working. It's like something is pushing the ship around and he has no idea what it is. So he unbuckles himself from his couch and floats to look out one of the command module's small windows. And what Lovell sees out that window changes everything. He takes a breath. He knows what he is about to say will send shockwaves through mission control. He controls his voice to appear unconcerned and he says... It looks to me that we are venting something. We are venting something into space. Then Jack Louse with the Capcom says, Roger, we copy your venting. And Lovell continues, It's a gas of some sort. What Lovell sees out the window is a cloud of gas, and it's crystallizing and creating this iridescent halo in the blackness of space. This has to be where the oxygen is disappearing to. This venting is what's propelling Lovell's ship around erratically. This is what he's fighting when he's trying to use the manual thrusters. And this is certainly not instrumentation. This is real. Lovell realises that he, Jack Swaggart and Fred Hayes are in big trouble. Down in mission control, there is shock, but Kranz remains calm. It's been 15 minutes since the crew first reported a problem. 
and he's furious with himself that he's wasted all this time thinking it's an instrumentation problem. But he quickly gets over himself. This mission is now about survival. Kranz tackles his first problem, disorganisation. There are two flight control teams in the room. His white one is still on shift, albeit their shift is running over. And standing behind the white team controllers are Glenn Lunny's black team controllers. They're about to go on shift. And all these controllers are talking to one another and Kranz can see that the room has been badly rattled by the news of the venting. So his first job is to turn this team around and refocus them. So he stands up and yells across the consoles. Okay, all flight controllers, cut the chatter. I want every member of the white team to settle down and get back on the voice loops. The rest of you, shut up. Then Kranz gets back on calm to the white team. He says, okay, let's everybody keep cool. Then he talks about the options and adds, let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. So calmness is restored. And up in Apollo 13, there is no panic either. Like Kranz, Lovell sees this all as a series of problems to be solved. He knows the moon landing is off. He knows they're venting what can only be oxygen into space. But he also knows they are in no immediate danger. They still have one good oxygen tank and they still have one good fuel cell. Plenty of oxygen to survive and plenty of power to get the command module and them home safely. And to confirm this, Lovell drifts over to look at the control panel. He wants to double check that the oxygen level in oxygen tank 1 is okay. And he also wants to check that fuel cell 2 is still working fine. And he gets a shock. Oxygen tank 1, the tank that should be okay, is losing oxygen. Now he knows tank 2 is empty, it's been empty for a while, but this shouldn't be affecting tank 1. They are separate tanks, but now tank 1 isn't reading full anymore, and the sensor needle seems to be dropping right in front of his eyes. The only source of oxygen left in the service module, which is also the only source of power in the service module, is disappearing right before his eyes. And once it's empty, the spacecraft is dead. No oxygen to breathe, no power to do anything. Lovell needs to make sure Mission Control is reading this. He nudges Swaggart and points at the Tank 1 meter. Swaggart nods and then says to the Capcom in the usual relaxed tone, Jack, are you reading O2 Tank 1 cryopressure? And the Capcom replies, that's affirmative. Lovell, Swaggart and Hayes look at one another. They know now they're in a dying spacecraft. But they have some time. Lovell reckons about two more hours before they'll lose all power and oxygen. And when that power and oxygen in the service module runs out, they still have a trio of batteries in the command module to provide power, and they still have a small surge oxygen tank in the command module to provide oxygen. These batteries and this oxygen will be needed for re-entry if they last that long. So in a normal mission, just before re-entry, the cylindrical service module is jettisoned, leaving the three crew members in the small conical command module. And for the last part of the flight, power and oxygen are provided by the 3 of batteries and the oxygen surge tank in the command module. So if they start using these consumables now, it'll be like they're spending their retirement when they're still teenagers. They need another option. And for Lovell, 
there's only one more card to play. There's the lunar module, Aquarius, spelled LM, which NASA pronounces as the LEM. The LEM is the spacecraft that would have normally traveled down to the moon. It's sitting quietly, all powered down, attached to the command module. Now in a normal mission, this LEM wouldn't be used until they entered the moon's orbit, but this isn't gonna happen on this mission. Lovell looks at his crewmates and says, if we're going to get home, we're going to have to use Aquarius. Down in mission control, Kranz is trying hard to get a handle on the situation. He's spending most of his time dealing with the ECOM Psy Liebergut. On Liebergut's console, Oxygen Tank 2 is dead, and Oxygen Tank 1, which Lovell had been surprised to see dropping, is now down to half pressure, and it's continuing to drop. Fuel cells 1 and 3 are all but gone, and now fuel cell 2 is dying. Main bus B is also long gone, and now main bus A is dying. This is a system that's completely crashing. Liebergut knows he can't save it, but what he is trying to do is stop it dying straight away. The hardware is gobbling power, and if the system decides it's all too much, it might simply crash out. So Liebergut's backroom suggests they do a power down. In other words, at least try and control the debt of the ship. So at about 20 minutes after Swaggart and Lovell had reported a problem, Liebergut gets back on the comm loop to Kranz and says, Flight, I think the best thing we can do right now is start a power down. So he tells Kranz he wants to power down by a total of 10 amps. And Kranz whistles. Now this is a huge amount of power to cut. The ship only runs on 50 amps and Liebergut wants to slice off 20% of the power which means slicing off 20% of the systems. So Kranz confirms the power down and the Capcom starts to read up the power down procedure to Swaggart. But at the Ecom console, things are taking an even more disturbing turn. The pressure in O2 tank one has dropped to 318 pounds. And once it gets to 100 pounds, Liebergut knows it won't actually be able to feed gas through the lines. Then goodbye power, goodbye oxygen. And when Liebergut's backroom see this drop, they ask Liebergut to close off the surge tank in the command module. This is the tank they need for re-entry. Because if the oxygen level in the service module tank drops too low, then the system automatically switches over to the surge tank in the command module. The backroom don't want this to happen. And now, the ECOM and his backroom are really in a grim mood. By their calculations at the O2 tank's current rate of pressure loss, it will be useless in 1 hour and 54 minutes. But Liebergott has got another option to try. He can shut the reactant valves on the two defective fuel cells. So these reactant valves regulate the flow of oxygen from the tanks into the fuel cells themselves. Liebergott's thinking goes like this. He has two oxygen tanks feeding into three fuel cells. Somewhere in this system, he has a leak. If he can switch off two of the already dead fuel cells, he may be able to isolate the leak. And if he can do that, he can try and run a limping ship on his one fuel cell and one O2 tank. 
But this really is a last-ditch effort. There's no coming back from closing reactant valves. These are very delicate pieces of kit, and once they're closed, they need a team of technicians to open them back up. And saying that these valves need to be closed is saying out loud that the mission is over. So he gets on the loop, flight ecom, and Liebergut says, I want to shut off the reactant valves, starting with fuel cell 3 first to see if we can stop the flows. Cranstein repeats back to him, You want me to shut off the reactant valve to fuel cell 3? Roger, says Liebergut. So Kranz asks the Capcom to tell the crew to close the react valve on fuel cell 3. Then Kranz adds, we're going to try and stop this O2 flow. Lausma the Capcom says to the crew, OK 13, this is Houston. It appears to us that we're losing O2 flow through fuel cell 3. So we want you to close the react valve on fuel cell 3. You copy? Hayes speaks to Houston and says, Did I hear you right? You want me to shut the react valve on fuel cell 3? Lausma answers, that's affirmative. Up in the command module, Lovell says, it's over. Swaggart looks at his crewmates. As a command module pilot, he was never going to walk on the moon. But he feels for Lovell and his, who now won't either. He says, I'm sorry, we did everything we could. So they closed the reactant valve and Liebergott and his backroom watched their consoles, hoping they'll see the oxygen leak stop, see the pressure in the remaining O2 tank stabilise. They wait. And wait. Then, to their horror, it doesn't stop. The ship continues to leak and the pressure continues to drop. Then Liebergott orders the reactant valve on fuel cell 1 closed as well. This is the last chance. The crew close it, and again Liebergott and his team wait. But the bleeding continues. Now there's only one more thing to do. Liebergott turns to his right in mission control. Bob Hesselmeyer is sitting there. Hesselmeyer is the environmental officer in the LIM, known as the Talmu. Now essentially the Talmu is the equivalent of the ECOM, except they're for the LIM. So it's Hesselmeyer's job to make sure the LEM is functioning perfectly. And because at the moment it's powered down, he doesn't have much to do. Liebergut says to him, Remember when we were working on those lifeboat procedures? Now what Liebergut is talking about is a simulation they'd done previously. And in this exercise they'd simulated what they'd do if something happened to the command module and mission control had to use the LEM's life support systems as a way of keeping the crew alive. He's reaching the same conclusion as Lovell did earlier. So Lieberget calls flight and says, The pressure in O2 Tank 1 is all the way down to 297. We'd better think about getting them into the LEM. But while the oxygen tank 1 readings are bad on the ground, they are terrible in the spacecraft. They aren't 297 pounds, they're down to 205 pounds. Swigert gets in the comm and says, Houston, it looks like tank 1 O2 pressure is just a hair over 200. Does it look to you like it's still going down? And Lausma replies, it's slowly going to zero. 
were starting to think about the Lem lifeboat. In Apollo, the three crew nod to one another. Yes, said Swigert, that's what we're thinking about too. There it was, the official abandoned ship. Get out and into the Lem and get it all fired up. But things are much more complicated than that. They need the command module at the end of the mission for re-entry. They just can't let it splutter out and die. They need to power it down properly. And they need to do this to make sure there's a chance of turning it back on afterwards. So they'll have to carefully power it down, switching it off one switch at a time. Now this is usually a job for three, but it will have to be Swigert's job alone, because Lovell and Hayes are in the lem getting ready to power it up. So Swigert has to power the command module down before it dies on him, and Lovell and Hayes have to power the lem up before Swigert powers down the command module. If they don't get this done, there'll be no power or breathable air or ability to manoeuvre the spacecraft. So they're in a race. And at this time, there's a change of shift. Gene Kranz has decided that it's a good time to turn control over to Glenn Lunny's black team. They have their plan of action now, and Lunny is just the man to execute it. He will manage the power down and power up, because Kranz is already moving on to the really big question. How does he get these astronauts home? But things in the command module are about to get so much worse. Liebergut stands up and hands over control to the new ecom, Clint Burton. And one of his first questions to the backroom is how much pressure is left in the last oxygen tank. In other words, how much time do they have left to power down? Hmm, the backroom says, a little over an hour, we're getting a new rate. Burton says quickly, a little shocked, I didn't copy. He and Liebergut look at one another, a little over an hour, they're losing this ship a lot faster than they thought. We've got a little over 40 minutes left in tank one. Incredibly, they've jumped from almost two hours left to only 40 minutes remaining. Then it gets worse. After a pause, the backroom comes back on the line and says, Leak rate's increasing all the time, Ecom. Now it looks like we've got about 18 minutes left. Then he calls again, and it's down to seven minutes. Then a minute later, it's down to four. The ECOM quickly gets on the comm loop and asks Flight to open the surge tank in the command module to provide oxygen. They need to start using some of the oxygen that's required for re-entry, and they need to start using it now. Lausma says to Apollo, 13 Houston, we'd like you to start making your way over to the LEM. Swigert replies, Fred and Jim are in the LEM already. Swigert then continues to work through the power down of the command module and Lovell and his work on getting the LEM operational. This is a huge job. It usually takes two hours to bring everything online according to the checklists. But they don't have hours. They literally have minutes. And one of the first things to sort out is guidance. Their guidance system tells them where they are in space and, just as importantly, which way they're pointing. If they lose control of their guidance system, they won't know where they are, which will make doing any sort of manoeuvres almost impossible. So in order to get the guidance up and running in the LEM, Swigert has to take the spacecraft's orientation and coordinates from the command module computer, pass them to Lovell, then Lovell has to make some calculations on paper to account for the fact that the LEM has a different orientation to the command module, and then they have to input this information into the LEM's guidance computer. 
and if Swaggart doesn't get the numbers out of the command module computer before it's shut down, then they're flying blind. And if he gets the numbers out and Lovell screws up the calculations, then they'll have the wrong inputs for the LEM computer. And even if they get this right, they still have to actually input them into the LEM computer without making a mistake. And they have to do all this under extreme time pressure. So Lovell requests the numbers and Swaggart passes them on, then Lovell starts his calculations. But something strange happens. Lovell suddenly gets nervous he'll mess up the calculations. Rather than risk that, he calls down to mission control for a double check on his arithmetic. And the Capcom is confused, he's never heard Jim Lovell doubt himself. So Lovell reads out the numbers and the Capcom waits as the team at the guidance console check them. Then he gets back on comm to Lovell. Okay Aquarius, your arithmetic looks good there. Lausma is now referring to the LEM by its official call sign, Aquarius. And from now on, when he's speaking to Jack Swagger in the command module, he'll be calling it Odyssey. Meanwhile, Lonnie is pulling together all of Mission Control. And he's focusing them on what needs to be done to save the crew. Lonnie has been handed one of NASA's biggest messes, and he is excelling at sorting it out. He's a details man. And going through the power down and power up sequence is all about the details. And everything now is moving very quickly. Hayes continues to feed numbers into the guidance computer. They keep powering up the craft. And mission control is firing up details of switches that need to be turned off or on, one after the other. Swaggered is darting around the instrument panel in the command module, flicking off switch after switch, following the power down sequence. And through all this, Lausma is telling the astronauts to speak one at a time and stop talking over one another. Finally, Lovell gets in the calm. Okay, Aquarius is up and Odyssey is completely powered down according to the procedures you read up to Jack. And Lausma says, Roger, we copy. That's where we want to be, Jim. They've done it. Against brutal time constraints, they've got a working spacecraft online and they've managed to shut the other down. They may still be dead men, but they've bought themselves tens of hours to try and save themselves. In the command module, Swaggart is alone, and he looks around. This is his ship, his responsibility. He is the command module pilot, and at least for now, it's dead. It looks a very different place from just hours ago, when it was a bright, busy place, and they were broadcasting on TV. Now it's dark, and it's starting to get cold. And Swaggart really hopes this isn't a dead ship, just a sleeping one. It still has some of its batteries and oxygen supply. They used up a little to buy some time in the power down. But the problem is, no one knows if it's even possible to turn this command module back on. Once in flight, these command modules were never designed to be switched off. So at some point in the future, mission control is going to have to try something they've never, ever done before. 
something that's never even been simulated before. They're going to have to figure out how to bring back to life a command module using only its battery power after it's been in the cold of deep space for days. The problems they face are massive. From where the astronauts are now, much closer to the moon than the Earth, the journey back home will take at least 90 hours, almost four days. But the LEM has only about 45 hours worth of oxygen and power. And that figure of 45 hours is based on two men aboard. But now the LEM will have to support three men. Then there's the problem with the ship's trajectory. If it keeps on its current path, it will reach the moon, be swept around the back of it, and then slingshot back towards the Earth. But the big issue is, on its current trajectory, it will miss the Earth. It will miss it by about 40,000 miles. Then there's the guidance problem. If the crew has messed up the transfer from the command module computer to the LEM computer, then they're flying blind. And there's no easy way to check their alignment to make sure this transfer has been done correctly. And then, even if they solve all these problems, they're still going to have to figure out how to turn the command module back on after it's been switched off for days, using only its own battery power. No one knows if this is even possible. And if they can't do it, then all the work to get the men back to that point will have been for nothing. But Krantz has a plan. This was Saving Apollo 13. If you liked the show, I'd love if you took the time to tell a friend about it. This show was produced by forensic engineering firm Brady Haywood. Brady Haywood specializes in forensic engineering and investigating the causes of failures. For more information, head to the website bradyhaywood.com.au. This show was written and narrated by me, Sean Brady. It was produced in partnership with the team at Wavelength Creative, who helped write, edit and mix the show. Special thanks to everyone who reviewed my scripts, fact-checked and given valuable feedback while producing this podcast. And one last thing. If you've got a complicated idea that you want to communicate with your employees or customers, then making a podcast like this is a really great way to get your message across. And I really recommend Wavelength Creative, who helped me produce this show. To talk to the team at Waveland about your idea, head to the website waveland.fm. There's a link in this episode's show notes.